0: May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Yeah, I don't know what's coming either. Was that Robert who said more or less? Okay, busted. I used to hang out with a guy whose last name was Lesser. More and lesser everywhere we went. Yes, it's true that I'm the regional director for the UMJC, uh, the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations, uh, affectionately referred to by its nickname, the Union. So I'm a union man of sorts. Um, I'm happy also to be a member of Tikvat Israel Congregation, a congregation, yes, <clears throat> it's uh, a great blessing. It's a congregation that I've admired for many years. Um, I was the congregational leader of Oheb Yisrael Messianic Jewish Congregation from 1992 until 2006, and so I became a a fan of uh, Jamie Cowan during that time. And uh, we used to hang out quite a lot. He would, when he visited Washington, D.C., for whatever reason, occasionally he had to come up there to do some immigration work because he was an immigration attorney and did some uh, pro bono work for the, I guess, the Russian Jewish community here in Richmond. But when he came to Washington, D.C. for some of that work, he would stay with us And we would always treat him to a wonderful big breakfast, which he grew to love and appreciate and take for granted. But we have imposed upon him many times as well. Um, So I feel a real friendship here. Uh, While my younger son, Jonathan, was growing up, he also would visit Richmond frequently uh, after service on Shabbat, he would drive to Richmond to be with his friends, you know, his friends, Amy and Jennifer and Rebecca Cowan, and the other young folks that were attending here at the time, and uh, so he uh, uh, he developed also a friendship. I used, to, you know, it used to be that Jonathan was known as Scott Moore's son, but nowadays it's Me, who is known as Jonathan Moore's father, he's gone on to lead a Messianic Jewish congregation in Jerusalem called uh, Ahavat Yeshua, uh, there with Asher and Trader and Dan Juster and many other wonderful men and women of God. And um, so I can just brag a little bit about that. As for my message, John already gave it. So, any questions? <laughs> no, it was a really good Torah uh, that he gave, and he touched on the Torah portion. And uh, so, but, you know, the reason I make these big bucks is so I read it, so you'll have to sit there and listen. Um, anyway, today's Torah portion begins at the end. Literally, the very first words, by and it happened at the end. I think that's funny. Now you have some idea of the depths of my sense of humor or lack thereof. It begins at the end. Okay, anyway, I don't have to explain that, do I? Here we are at the end of another year. And it's usually at the end of the year that people begin to think about the next year. Many of us are tempted to look back to see whether we accomplished what we had hoped to do, what resolutions we might make for the year ahead, what decisions we need to make to assure that our long-range goals are accomplished, I'm told that successful people do this not just at the end of the year, but every quarter, every month, maybe every week, maybe even every hour, I don't know. I have done this at times. It does work, but I hate it. My mind rebels. I prefer to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Anybody can relate to this? Yes, some of you, okay. Okay. To your shame, Uh, as it turns out, doing what you want to do when you want to do it is the way to poverty. Anyway, I've always had an answer when someone reminds me that I need more discipline in my life. When someone asks me whether I am setting and accomplishing goals, I remind them of what James has to say. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. What is your life? For you are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And that works pretty well as long as people don't read the next two verses. Are you ready for the surprising next two verses? Okay. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do and does not do it for him... It is sin. So we're still held accountable, aren't we? Speaking of arrogance, <clears throat> I suppose I'm sounding a little like the conceited man on a date with a nice lady who listened, po- the lady listened politely as he went on and on about himself. Finally, he decided to change the subject. He says, But enough about me. Let's change the subject. What do you? Think about me. Or, like the beginning of the book, A Purpose-Driven Life, the very first line in the first chapter says, It's not about you. And I've been telling that people that for years. It's not about you, it's about me. So let's talk about Joseph. What do you think about Joseph? Here he was, still in prison. Two years, at the end of two years after he accurately interpreted the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. The baker was beheaded. The cupbearer cup was released and given his office back. He asked the cupbearer to remember him when he got back to his duties. But he didn't remember Joseph Joseph spent two additional years in the prison, not knowing whether he would ever be released. And speaking of being at the end, it was also the end of 13 years of servitude, first in Potiphar's house, then in prison. What do you suppose Joseph's frame of mind was? You know, it's a lot easier to have a good attitude when you know how things are going to turn out. But we don't really live that way, do we? We read our scriptures, we know that the kingdom of God prevails in the end, but we don't necessarily know where we will be or what shape we will be in when the kingdom of God prevails at the end. Did Joseph know that it would be two years before the cupbearer would remember him and he would be rescued from prison? There's no evidence that he knew. Maybe it would have been three or ten or possibly never at all. Did Joseph remember the dreams he had as a young man when he saw all his brothers and his father and his mother bowing down to him? He probably figured that those dreams were a result of too much horseradish at Pesach. Oh wait, Pesach hadn't been invented. So maybe he had gotten some sour goat's milk. Anyway, his life certainly had not gone the way that he thought it would. Why do we sometimes find ourselves thinking that the circumstances of our lives always work against us. Actually, when things go wrong, we ask ourselves whether we have done something to deserve our situation. We search our hearts and look for answers. I had one supervisor. I used to work for the federal government. He used to say that the only bad mistake is the one that we don't learn from. So we should pray. We should cry out. Men, if you want to know whether you've done something wrong, just ask your wife. She'll give you a list. <laughs> Job's wife told Job, just curse God and die. So maybe you don't have to ask your spouse's advice. But if you don't find any sin big enough to hang your suffering on, you may need to look somewhere else. Where do we look? How do we approach suffering, waiting, enduring, with no end in sight? When we don't see any specific action on our part that led to that result, something we can correct. Perhaps you're not like Joseph. You haven't been sold into slavery. Maybe you haven't been falsely accused of trying to molest your boss's wife. Maybe you haven't been thrown into prison and forgotten. But maybe you have lost a loved one. Maybe this is a year when you've been fired from your job. Maybe your pension was completely eaten up by the Great Depression of 2008. I know someone that that happened to. Maybe you've been told that you have an aggressive cancer and some vital part of your body has to be removed. I'm a cancer survivor, so is my wife. Maybe your life doesn't compare with Joseph's life, but maybe your troubles are great enough to break your spirit and cause your hope to vanish. I experienced that one I had a car that broke down. I was already broke. My car broke down. I had no money to fix it. I cried myself to sleep that night. At this time of year, we like to think that everyone is having a wonderful family time with children and presents and special music and warm fires. But for some, this time of year is a time of dread. Missing those who should be here and aren't. Maybe dreading to spend time with families who always fight. It can be a time of deep depression and bitterness. Have you learned the secret of forgiving God? What on earth are you talking about, Mr. Moore? God didn't sin but it feels like he did sometimes. Didn't I just quote James as saying that he who knows to do good and doesn't do it is in sin? Couldn't God have acted to prevent job loss, cancer, death, abuse, financial ruin, adultery, rebellious children, maybe a devastating fire? that kills your son. I know someone, you know someone that that's happened to, Dan and Patty Jester. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Yeshua. So nothing happens to us except that it comes through His hands if we belong to Him. So forgiving God is determining that whatever evil has befallen you God allowed it. So He has a purpose that you just don't know yet. The first step in forgiving God is to accept that He didn't sin. God cannot sin. Are we supposed to believe that these evils are somehow good? You see, the next step in forgiving God is to admit that we don't see through his eyes. His eyes are eternal. He can see the eternal picture. We can't. With Joseph, he used the evil thing that Joseph's brothers did to preserve Jacob and his family from a famine that at that point no one knew was coming. Or, Here's another example. You can find many in scripture. Here's one more. King Saul. God ordered Saul to destroy the Amalekites. Every man, woman, child, nursing infant, oxen, sheep, camels, and donkeys. That's pretty harsh. Later in the book of Esther, we read that Haman, I was just wondering, was an Agagite, a descendant of King Agag, who was the king of the Amalekites during the days of Saul. So at least one of the Amalekites survived in order to produce Haman. Right, who nearly succeeded in destroying the Jewish people forever. Sin has consequences, and for Saul, the sin was not killing nursing infants. How can we possibly imagine that as being good? It's a genuine evil, we would think. But if God didn't prevent an evil thing from happening... Perhaps he knew what he was doing, even if for now we don't understand. The next step in forgiving God is to admit that we don't see what God sees. Finally, forgiving God means accepting the pain, the loss, the grief, the unfairness, the unfulfilled expectations, the weariness without relief, the frustration, Accepting these things as from God's hand and making peace with God about it. Making peace with God. Sometimes, especially if it seems so unfair, is difficult. But it means giving Him your agreement that He is God and you are His creation. It's why we say the Kaddish when we remember family who have passed away. In the Kaddish, we glorify God. We're not, it's not a prayer of mourning. It's a prayer of giving glory to God. <clears throat> it's a congregational prayer. It's not just the person mourning that's praying, but everyone joins in with the amens and the responses because it's a congregational prayer on behalf of those who are mourning and all of us are in mourning or at one time or another. We glorify God because He is the true judge of everything, even things we don't like. Perhaps God's purpose is to give you a better sense of identification with Yeshua who also suffered unrighteously and submitted to death on a cross as a criminal overcoming both sin and death he submitted to the shame and overcame shame so that we also might in identification with him live shame free perhaps it's to see our families saved and restored as with Joseph Perhaps it's so that you can change, that your character would be stronger, or that your life will go in a different direction that you didn't anticipate. Page 4. I'm not Paul Harvey. I'm not worthy, but I just like saying that once in a while. Remember Paul Harvey? Who remembers Paul Harvey? Okay, there's a few of you. Yeah. Perhaps... The reason or the purpose is that you would one day console others as Job did in his suffering because it wasn't Job who sinned. Perhaps it's to lead your people out of Egypt as it was with Moses. Most likely you won't know what the divine purpose is for your suffering until you have endured the trial of faith. And you discover the end of your faith. What is that? Well, this is a lengthy passage, but I'm getting ready to read 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. So listen for a moment. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. That's a good way to start to forgive God because that's who He is. In his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Messiah Yeshua from the dead. An incorruptible, undefiled, and unfading inheritance has been reserved in heaven for you. By trusting, you are being protected by God's power for a salvation ready to be revealed at the end. Notice how I snuck that in there. At the end. You rejoice in this greatly, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. These trials are so that the true metal of your faith far more valuable than gold, which perishes, though refined by fire, may come to light in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Messiah Yeshua. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you don't see Him now, you trust Him and are filled with a joy that is glorious beyond words, receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The prophets who spoke about the grace that was to be yours searched for this salvation and investigated carefully. They were trying to find out the time and circumstances the Ruach of Messiah within them was indicating when predicting the sufferings in store for Messiah and the glories to follow. And if you've been identified with Messiah, what makes you think you won't suffer also, right? It was revealed to them that they were providing these messages not to themselves, but to you. These messages have now been announced to you through those who proclaimed the good news to you by the Ruach HaKodesh sent from heaven. Even angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. In conclusion, and you know what it means when a minister says, in conclusion. Absolutely nothing. Still, in conclusion, please note that Joseph may have accepted his lot in life but he didn't necessarily pardon the ones who did him wrong. Have you ever thought about that? He tested them to see whether they knew that what they did was wrong. He was grateful to hear them confess, all of them, that they should have never done to Joseph what they did. He gave them a chance to avoid his wrath by getting Benjamin by having them get Benjamin and bring him back to Joseph. And then they could leave. If they would just sacrifice their little brother Benjamin and bring him back to Joseph, they could be on their way, go back home to their father. He gave them that chance. He'd have the only brother born of his own mother, They would have their freedom, even though they deserved retribution for what they had done to Joseph. But Joseph finally acknowledged that it had been God who had engineered the whole plan. And his love for God outweighed his hatred for the evil that had been done. I believe that one day, at the end... When we finally see the beauty of all that God has ordained for us, we too will weep with joy and awe. In the meantime, we trust. We choose to trust. And this is the essence of faith. We trust that God knows what he's doing, even when we don't. And at the end, we say, Amen. Amen. How will you close this service? Bremo? Who? How would you like to close the service? An ironic benediction. Shall I offer an ironic benediction? Yes. And the Kiddush. Do we have help on the Kiddush or do I do the Kiddush? Okay. I'm learning, you know, I've only been here a year and a half. Um, well, please stand for the Aaronic benediction. I sometimes give a disclaimer because I am not a Kohen, uh, according to the tribe of Aaron. And so it's the Kohenim that offer the Aaronic benediction, but I am a Kohen, according to the order of Melchizedek. So without taking anything away from what the Kohanim do, then may you receive this uh, benediction. Yivar Adonai Ya er Adonai panav vi hu 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 ne hecha, isa haronai panave lecha, shalom, isa haronai panave lecha, May the Lord bless you and keep you May he cause his face to shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May he lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Hashem Yeshua. and